welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name is Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? I tell you, you know you're getting old because when I was younger, I used to go looking for restaurants. Now I go looking for restrooms. And so you think, just before getting up to preach, I said to Matt, can you keep it going for a while? I've got to go. These days, my back goes out more than I do, so I know something's not right, you know. But I wasn't ready for this one. The little old lady I walk across the street now is my wife. And you think, how did that happen? <laughs> Nearly 50 years married. Before we got married, I talked and she listened. Six months in, she talked and I listened. Three years in, we both talked and the neighbours listened. And so you think, <laughs> but we're still together. And so it's so good to be with you today. It really is. And all jokes aside, a long time ago, I decided I'm going to stop preaching and start reaching with what God is really saying to his people. You're worth not just hearing a talk, but being empowered for your walk with Jesus. And I declare this morning that we're about to see, and it's already begun, the greatest era for the church. And I say that deliberately. But there's a few things that are being shaken. God never shakes to hurt, he shakes to heal. And I believe the prophetic for today has no power unless it had answers for the things it addresses. We're not here to address things and what's wrong with the church and and all that kind of stuff, which is happening. People are deconstructing and don't know how to reconstruct. Imagine knocking down a house and then moving your furniture in onto the empty block. We've got to rebuild if we're deconstructing and there is a churchianity around the world right now where the only Jesus people know is going to church. I've actually stopped asking people, are you a Christian? And I ask, are you walking with Jesus? Because there's a big difference. There's a huge difference. I've been walking with Jesus for 50 years, over 50 years. At the age of 11, I had my first real encounter. Raised in a little Italian church, in Adelaide that had been birthed by my dad. My granddad started the first Pentecostal church in Southern Italy after the Second World War. Had a tobacco farm and God completely delivered him from all addictions that he had. And on that tobacco farm built a church. A town of about 900 people and over 12 world changing pastors have come out of that town. One of my relatives went to South America in 1950 and my dad followed and they planted a church and then 22 other churches were planted out of this little group of Italians in South America. I was born there in 1956 in Montevideo, Uruguay. 
And at the age of four, brought to Australia by my parents. And at the age of 11, even though I'd been in church nine months before I was born, I was in church. (laughs) At the age of 11, I had my first encounter with Jesus. It was one of those Italian churches where it was very emotional. It was Pentecostal, but then Italian. You you put Pentecostal (laughs) and Italian together. I never brought my friends to church because I was embarrassed because I had an auntie we called the ambulance. Whenever she felt the presence of God in church, she'd start rocking. And I'm going, how am I going to bring people to church? They're going to hear the ambulance. And then you've got all these Italians trying to speak English. 40 years ago. During testimony time, I give my love to Jesus. That was my granddad. And every Wednesday, 40 years ago. <laughs> Talking about what happened 40 years ago, but what about now? But they were beautiful people and they loved Jesus. Had the privilege to do my granddad's funeral and pull out the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 13, and put his name there. My granddad was kind. My granddad was loving because he sat by a sick wife for 30 years by her bedside as she went blind and was very, very sick and he would just hold her hand and read her the scriptures. I was the first Italian to marry an Aussie in our culture. I got a good belting. I got pretty well disowned by my culture. And it was my granddad that says, you leave him alone. If God's in it, he'll bless it. And so I'm very grateful for the real Jesus. And he is doing something in the Western church right now. Back in those days, I was raised in what we would call legalism, which was you had to obey God by the laws and I never felt good enough. I mean, you're 16, you look at a teenage girl and and you think, oh, shouldn't have looked then. And then you think, I'm going to hell now. It's like the minute you do something wrong, you're going straight to hell. I was, I was confessing my sins all the time and never, never thought I was going to make it. And then the Jesus revolution came in the 60s, which the movie is out that some of you may have seen. My wife and I were touched by God during that. And this incredible season of God's grace hit the planet where I discovered God actually liked me and that He loved me. But that liberal knowledge of God's love led to what I believe became a license for cheap grace. Over many years now where we've seen God's amazing grace that leads us to become like Him, let us get away with things that God never intended for us. And so we went from legalism to liberalism One was license, the other was law. And right now I prophesy, we have just begun to see a new era, not a new season, a new era of love and lordship, which is the true definition of holiness. Holiness is not law. Holiness is not cheap grace, but holiness is love and lordship. I love you, Lord, so I want to. Have you in my life as my Lord, not because I have to, because I want to. And so right now, I'm going to give you some statements the Holy Spirit has given me over the last few years, and then I'll share a few thoughts around a scripture 
But we are now kicking off a new era of love and lordship. We don't have to do anything, but we want to. And to do that, there has to be a sift and a shift before there's a lift. God is sifting the church right now to shift the church right now, to lift the church right now. I'm spending more time with non-Christians right now than ever in my life. And there's a hunger out there in our community because the world is sick of the world. The world is saying, we're going nuts. All woke culture and all cancel culture around us is going to an extreme where the other day a young man walked into a meeting I was preaching at with his tracker on, just released from prison. And he said, I don't believe in God, but when I see what's happening, I need to check out maybe if he's real because I don't like what's happening in the world. And I led him to Jesus Christ. And he's allowed now with his tracker to be in church every Sunday and his police, uh, the protection, the prison protection, I've had to write to them to ask permission if he could come to the mission that my son and I are working on in South Australia. That's another story, working with the broken and the hurting. This is our greatest hour. People are looking for someone to worship, but they need to worship the real, not the imitation. And the world's trying to imitate everything God had for us. And the church cannot just be churchian anymore. We gotta let God sift us so He can shift us, so He can lift us to be the church He wants us to be. Flying to Brisbane one day on the plane and I sit in the exit row to get a bit of extra leg room and I can say it off by heart. But you know, in case there's an issue and you hear the words, evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. And I'm just sitting there thinking, you know what's happening in the church right now? People are evacuating because there's a bit of turbulence, but the plane's not gonna crash. So many people with a bit of turbulence, I've got to evacuate, I've got to get out of here. And the Holy Spirit dropped this thought into my mind. It's not time to evacuate, it's time to evaluate. It's time to evaluate, evaluate, evaluate what is God saying? I'm in prayer one day and the Holy Spirit prompted this thought on my mind. I'm building my church. I'm not just building yours. Sometimes what we build for God is different than what God builds through us. It's what He builds through us. And I believe we're moving into an incredible absolute era for the church to see its great greatest days. The church has been turned upside down in its definition. The church is not just a gathering on Sunday. The church, Sunday should be a send day where we send people to be the church in our community. I'm Italian, if you're Australian and I take you to an Italian restaurant three times a week. I used to come to La Spaghettata, I went there last night for dinner. For so many times when I was in Melbourne, the owner thinks I live here. But if you're Australian and I take you to La Spaghettata three nights a week, it doesn't make you Italian. And I can take you to church every Sunday and every night of the week, it doesn't make you Christian. There's a difference between church attendance and Christ resemblance. And the title of what I wanna share today is better than just church attendance. And we need church attendance because we need to be together for the right reasons. But there's something even greater and that is to leave church attendance and live a life of Christ resemblance. 
which is what the world is looking for. And I believe we're getting back to the essence of what it means to be the church and some of the prophetic pictures that God has given me. One of them is the woman with the issue of blood. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, the church has been hemorrhaging. And there's been a hemorrhaging for a few years and it needs to get back to the person, the power and the purpose of Jesus. The woman that pushed through the crowd to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, she touched the person of Jesus. She experienced the power of Jesus and the purpose that he came to restore the broken and heal those that were away from him. And I believe that's coming back to the church. God is healing. In Matthew 21, these are the pictures. I have a ministry called Pattern Builders because God just gives me patterns from Scripture. And I'm reading in Matthew 21 where Jesus gets a whip and goes into the temple and starts cleaning out the temple. And I asked Jesus, I said, Jesus, if you came to the church in Australia today, what would you clean out? Fair enough question. If you were going to come into the Church of Australia, what would you clean out? And these three words came into my head. Personal agendas, polluted motives, and perverted mission. Because if our agenda is personal, our mission will become polluted. Our, Our motive will become polluted. We'll have methods that are polluted because of a perverted mission. But listen to this. This is with everything God deals with that's negative, there's such an incredible positive. Because after Jesus takes the whip and cleans the temple, the children come running into the temple. And the, the, the disciples are going, shut up the children. He goes, let them alone, leave them, let them go. And God spoke to my heart. He said, the minute the church allows these things to be dealt with, we're going to see a release of generational blessing. He said he's going to become the God of generations and I prophesy in the next 10 years that we're not just going to see children's ministry, youth ministry, we're going to see all generations working together as one, as an intergenerational church, not just the next generation. We need our granddads, we need our dads and mums, we need all that. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I think, he says, like a mother, I gathered you. And like a father, I urge you. We need the nurture and the nudge. We need the nurture and the nudge. Some Christians only want to be nurtured. Some Christians only get nudged and they feel like they can't cope. But we need God's nurture and we need God's nudge because He is a God of the generations that wants to bring us together. But then miracles started to happen. They brought in the lame and the sick and they were healed. And I prophesy today, hold me to it. You can stone me if it's not the truth. We're moving into a time of the miraculous, but it's not just gonna happen at an altar call. It's gonna happen in our unis. It's gonna happen on the streets. It's gonna happen in the workplace. When we allow Jesus to clean our personal temple, they're the kind of things that start to happen. So in Revelation chapter three, verse 20, The church of Laodicea, the words are spoken, I stand at the door and knock. That's not a salvation scripture. He's standing at the door of the church. I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my knock. No, if anyone hears my voice. What's been happening is Christians are aware something's knocking, but not stopping enough to hear the voice. I don't want to just hear a knock at the door. I want to open the door and say, tell us what you're saying, God. 
We want to hear your voice. We don't just want to be aware of a knocking, but we want to have a clarity of voice. And I don't want to go off script this morning, already have, but you know, uh, you know, the whole COVID thing really, really saddened me that Christians couldn't sort that situation out. That pastors in our nation couldn't come together as one and go, how do we lead our people? We can't handle with COVID and the conspiracy theories and the things that people started to frighten people with that when I read my scripture, every scripture I read about the Lord coming back, uh, the response to that is to love one another, to serve one another, to do life with one another. And the devil wants us to distract us from the real issue. And so I believe there has been a knock, but now the voice is gonna speak because there's a people like you here today. We wanna open the door and say, I was with some of your leaders yesterday and I could just see that incredible hunger. What is God saying? What do we need to do? They're just the leading in. And I'm not leaning into Danny, we're leading into what God is saying. And Jesus has wanted us to take us from a place of just church attendance to living a life of Christ resemblance. Felt the Lord speak to me and said, we've created a Jesus that isn't the real one. Now, I'm not being negative today. Please hear my heart. Uh, I, I, I feel, I know what I'm called to bring to the body of Christ. And, and God has been gracious to open my eyes to some of this stuff. And it's getting traction, not because I'm bringing it, because people are sick of the imitation. They're sick of the plastic, you know. Uh, they're sick of just the pretend. And people are looking for authentic Christianity that's not just about bums on seats. It's not just about how cool everything is, as good as we do everything with excellence. And that's because we love, not because we want to show off. We do things with excellence because those around us deserve our best. And God deserves our best. So you can have a spirit of excellence only if it flows from an excellent spirit. We've had showing off and extravagance and it hasn't been an excellent spirit. But that which flows from an excellent spirit will produce an excellent result. But we've had a different Jesus. We've had a Jesus that's caressed us, but we haven't allowed him to correct us. We've had a Jesus that's loved us, but he's not led us. We've had a Jesus that has given us his word, but we've used it as a, direct, as a devotional, not a directional. You know, the Bible isn't reading your Cards, what is it, your tarot, not tarot cards, your, your, your fortune telling at the end of the woman's weekly thing, you know? Well, I'm gonna go and read what my life, whatever those things are. I can't think of the name now. Star signs. I love that the Bible is a devotional, but after losing a son and going through cancer, which I'll just share in a moment, devotional's not enough. I need my faith to be a directional that needs to direct me and not just make me feel good. We've had a Jesus in the Pentecostal charismatic world that has taught us how to dance, but we haven't taken a stance. We want to shake the planet, turn the world upside down, and the government don't even know we exist. Where's the church's voice right now? because we've been inward looking, that's called centripetal. It's the first step to depression. When we go inward and we look inward and we don't look outward, we become closed in. And the church in the Western world does all its miracles within the four walls or so-called miracles. But what happens when we walk out? 
Acts chapter 8, when I had cancer and I'm in hospital, I shared it with the leaders yesterday. I'm going through cancer and I can't get to church for nine months. And I did my own commentary on the book of Acts and I get to Scripture after Scripture. Everywhere they went after the persecution, the power fell and Jesus did miracles through the early church. We don't have in the Western church and everywhere we went. It's everywhere we come to an event within four walls called the church. But God is saying we are the church you know, and everywhere we go. I'm not saying this is a boast and I don't want to repeat what I said yesterday, but I spent half my week with non-Christians. On a Wednesday, I worked for a carpet company. When they invited me, I was totally flawed. I told them yesterday. <laughs> it's a flooring company called Choices Flooring in Adelaide, 30 staff. And the reason they want me there is to help people find peace in their lives because they'll do a better job if they have inner strength. And even though it's not a Christian company, I've been given the permission to talk to people about their problems. And while I bring biblical pattern into the business world, not only that, we're meeting the needs of their broken hearts. And I went for a few weeks and I've been there 12 months and I love it. It's my favourite time of the week. I meet on Fridays with six Italian business people. Builders, one German and they all swear like crazy. And I'm sitting there, one of my Christian cousins who's been a churchian for a long time, I said, come with me to lunch on Friday and I'll let you see what the world's really like. And he's sitting there while we had a smorgasbord of pasta and meat and the owner of the restaurant goes, I'll just keep bringing out the food and you guys have your meeting. And we're sitting there having the meeting and they're swearing. One of the guys, he's named Rock. And he's a really tough builder, but he looks like a big biker. And he's sitting there, he goes, you know the effing problem with this country? He goes, the effing problem with this country is they need Jesus. (laughs) He's now starting to come along to our mission. But it's been months and months and two or three years of relationship with the lost. And so what they say to me, I go, Danny, is the world coming to an end? Um, What do you think about gay marriage? What do you think about this? And they pump me with questions. And I say this, there's some answers I don't have, guys, but can I show you the ones I have? And I go to Romans chapter one. I go to scriptures and I go, guys, I'm not gonna answer it for you. Can you just read this? And on my phone, they start reading the scripture. And they just, I won't tell you the words. Uh, They don't say, oh heck, but you know. (laughs) Flip didn't know that was in the Bible. And I'm actually teaching the scripture by letting them find out for themselves. And I ask them, what do you think? But I say all that to say this, and I've got to move on, is that the crux of my message today, this is an old, old saying, it'll show my age. But if you were arrested for being a Christian today, if I was arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? Is there enough evidence to convict us? Because people can see Jesus. Only on Wednesday, just gone, I met a new staff member at the carpet company. They said, she's coming in just to talk to you about her role and how to do relationships with the team. She'd been in the door two minutes, shut the door and burst into tears. 
She goes, I don't know why I've never met you before, but I just feel I've got to tell you everything. And pours out the life of a broken child, a daughter, broken, single mum, and pours out her life. Now, I'm not Jesus, but Jesus was a friend of the sinner and they loved hanging around him. And we, we have a world out there that thinks the church is weird, the church is nuts, the church has no answers, and it's not just the devil, and it's not just the attack, and it's not all that stuff. We, the church, have been churchian for so long. And what I love about your pastors, every time we talk on the phone, and that's not a lot, and I didn't know much until I got here yesterday, but there is a passion. We can't just keep doing what we've always done and expect a God result. We've got to make the changes and the shifts, those divine changes. And so today, for a couple of minutes, what time do we close, 11.30? For a couple of minutes, I want to ask this question, are you a preference, am I, are we preference Christians or are we conviction Christians? Because right now, within the Pentecostal church in this country, there are Christians of preference and Christians of conviction. And in 2016, on the 22nd of January, my eldest son, Chris, at a Christian youth camp was killed by a lightning strike in front of his children. At that moment, preference Christianity wasn't gonna cut it. Sitting there in my pain, knowing that only three days earlier we'd spoken with each other, told each other how much we loved each other, talked about deep, deep things that I won't repeat here, not knowing that I would never see him again. And there were aspects of the supernatural at work, but this huge, what happened? And he gets killed by a lightning strike. That was seven years ago. I wish I could stand here and say the pain has gone away, but it hasn't. It's there most days. I look at his photo on the wall and I cry. The other day I was speaking at my home church in Adelaide Edge Church, and I walked into the room where I did his wedding, 22 years of age, and realised his son is just turning 22. Even though it was so long, it felt like yesterday. The day my son died, it felt like he was only born the day before. Where did all that time go? What happened? Realising I'm going to be alive a lot less without him than I was with him alive. And yet it's just like a breath. And I remember saying to God, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, God. I, I, I know so much about you that I can't deny you. But there's all this stuff I don't understand. And I said, God, I don't even know where to turn in the Bible. I don't want to read a scripture that you're my protector when that happened. So God, I'm going to go to Psalm 39 because Chris was 39 when he died. And I went to Psalm 39 and verse four. Lord, show me how short my life will be. My life is but a breath. We're just a passing shadow. And I just knelt down by my bed. My heart was breaking. And I said, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. But I trust you. And inside my head came this voice, and I trust you. You trust me. 
And this is what came to me. Don't you think I knew you were going to go through this when I called you? Don't you think I knew you would pass this test as hard as it is? And right there in my mind, I said, God, I don't understand, but I won't bleed with my pain. I'll bless with my pain. I will build others with my pain. Three years after he passed, I'm in Perth preaching at Pastor Ken Lee's church. A couple come running up to me that were older than me in their 70s and they hugged me and just wouldn't let me go. She put mascara all over my cream jacket. (laughs) It's hanging in my wardrobe as a sign and a reminder. It won't be dry cleaned. She said, we had a son. His name was Chris. He died at the age of 39, 10 years ago, and he was killed by a lightning strike. I didn't have words, but boy, did we cry together. And I began to realise that preference Christianity ain't going to cut it. We need something that's a conviction. And what happened, and and I'll share it in just a moment, but what happened, I had to understand how to live in the I don't know. Ezekiel asking, God asking Ezekiel, can these bones live? I don't know. Do you know, as Christians, we can't handle living in the I don't know. But we can only live in the I don't know if we have what we do know. And I remember writing down all the things I did know. And so my non-Christian friends go, how can you believe in God when your son got killed in that condition? I said, I don't know. But can I show you what I do know? And as I begin to tell the story of God carrying me through this and the things that did happen, they go, oh man. One of them, Steve LaBella, died this week, went to school with me and sat with me only a few months ago, diagnosed with cancer, and I'm sharing this story with him. And he just looked at me in the end and he goes, I don't understand, but there must be a God. The world doesn't want a church that gets everything right and perfect and never goes through stuff. They want to know how we go through stuff and how we still stand, we've got something deeper. And to cut time out this morning, I was going to share the story of three young boys, and we sang about it today in one of the songs, being thrown into a furnace because they wouldn't bow to a heathen king who said, you will bow to my statue. And then they were given a second chance and they still said, no way, we are never going to bow. We are not bowing to you, king, because God can deliver us and he will. But if not... We've got to have a but if not faith. It can't be a faith of I'm only going to be here as God gives me what I want. It's got to be a but if not faith. That is conviction Christianity. Awesome. So let me just give you something that's very interesting. In 1972, there was a landmate case. You go and read the story, Daniel chapter 3. I don't want you to go home thinking he didn't read a lot of Bible. Uh, I'm giving you prophetic overview and thought. You go and study it in Daniel chapter 3. In 1972, there was a landmark case, Wisconsin versus Yoda. It was the story of an Amish man that decided that he would teach his child at home, homeschool his child, because he didn't like what was happening in in the school system. And the Supreme Court, this is not the Bible, friends, The Supreme Court ruled that the only religious beliefs protected under the First Amendment 
were convictions, not preferences. In distinguishing the difference between conviction and preference, it was noted that preferences were were negotiable. Convictions were not. The court went on to give five factors to know whether you are led by preference. Peer pressure, influence of family members, threat of litigation, the possibility of imprisonment and the thought of death. If any of those things can change your mind, you're not led by conviction. You're led by preference according to the court. If what we believed at first was what we preferred and desired, but it changed along the way, it was just preference. How can people through COVID go, I'm leaving the church, I'm not going to church anymore, I'm just going to do church online. Uh, I think that's preference Christianity. When I read a Bible that teaches us why our gifts are given to us and they're given to us for one another, they're given to us to help one another, to stir one another up in love and good works. We cannot do Christianity alone. I mean, you know, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, you know, uh, you know, Batman had Robin. You can't do life on your own. We're made for each other. We cannot do Christianity in isolation, but I'm gonna stay home and listen to people online and the Bible says in the last days there'll be false prophets and false teachers and I found seven of them in the New Testament that I wish I had time to teach you that are active right now and people are watching online and can't tell the difference. He's over here, he's over there, he's over there, he's over there. Well, next time you get sick, ring him up over there and see if he'll come to visit you. And so the Christianity has gotten so confused because of preference versus conviction. Characteristics of conviction, conviction conviction is predetermined. It's decided before anything happens. The year was 1983, I've completely run out of time, but the year was 1983. Call of God came so strong, about 82 actually, I went to college in 83. Knelt down at home praying one day. I said, God, you can have everything. Just don't take one of my children. God, you can have everything. Just don't take one of my kids. I walked away and about 10 minutes later, I said, sorry, Lord. Sorry, Lord. I can't put conditions on what you've called me to do. Now, Jesus didn't take away my son. God did not take away our son. That's another sermon about living on a fallen planet. Because when you're born again, the planet doesn't get healed. Your spirit does. And Christians forget that we live on a fallen planet and we live from eternity. We don't live for eternity. We live from eternity. And when we talk about prosperity and all those things, they've got to start with eternity, not with earth. And so... I had to say to the Lord, Lord, no conditions. Convictions are predetermined. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, his shack, my shack in a bungalow is what we used to say at Sunday school. <laughs> Couldn't say the proper pronunciation. So it was his shack, my shack in a bungalow. That was so much easier. <laughs> they made the decision before they were put in this position. It was predetermined. Number two, convictions not negotiable. They were given a second chance. They go, no, give us as many chances as you want. We're not bowing. There's no changing this. Number three, it's determined by confidence. If you think things are going to change, you might change. 
No, whatever changes, whatever happens, we're confident with our but if not faith. And number four, it's lived out. Now, because of time, I'm going to move on and share with you some of my personal convictions. Because I feel I want to have an altar call today that alters your call. We've had altar calls that don't alter our calls. And we just go back to altar call after altar call after altar call and nothing changes over the years. Not in this church. Not in this church. The church I'm working at at the moment, every Sunday I say to people, if you don't know God and you want to know who he is, come and talk to me afterwards. Sometimes that's two hours of talking after a service. I don't want to just put a hand on your head and say, you're done. Because if there's no conviction of sin, there's no conversion. There's no repentance and no revelation. Romans 12, in view of what he's done. And we're rushing people through this system. We say, oh, the Catholics burn candles. And what do we do? Might not be candles, but we go through rituals just to get the statistics up. And then people don't get transformed. And I believe God's changing all that. And I know that's in the heart of this church. So today, after the service, I'm just going to say, when you go home, will you write down your non-negotiable convictions? And then I'm going to ask you to do something this week, gossip. Ring one another up and share your convictions with one another. Encourage one another and stir one another up in the Lord. Watch what happens. See, my personal convictions is that Christ is God. That's a non-negotiable for me. The Bible is the Word of God. It's not a suggestion. It's a direction for my life. It's a roadmap. The resurrection really happened. And if the resurrection didn't happen, then choose your religion. Pastor Tony, who I work with every week, has grown his hair long. He's, I think it's a midlife crisis thing, you know. And so the other day, someone, no, I'm only joking. And the other day, we were standing together in the foyer and someone came up and said, Pastor Tony, you look just like Jesus. And I turned around and said to them, and I look like Buddha. (laughs) Take your pick today. If there's no resurrection, take your pick. If there was no resurrection, choose your religion. But I don't have that choice. I have a conviction that the resurrection is a reason why why I serve the way I serve. You see, I have, ooh, 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 ooh. I have a conviction you can't be saved if you don't want to serve. We are saved by grace, not by serving, but we're saved by grace to serve. 2 Corinthians 5, He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and rose again. But it's not because God's got this big thing where He needs help and we need to get on board with His building program. He wants us released into serving because we, in our God shape, we will discover Him there. We will find Him there. The gifts of the Spirit will be there. And instead of the pastor operating in the gifts of the Spirit, the whole congregation's operating in the gifts of the Spirit because we're saved to serve. That is my conviction. We are called to partner in the building of his church, not the bashing of his church. And I have a conviction on how that should be built. I want to draw to a close because of time. These are all bigger messages, but I just want to sow the seed today. 2016, Chris died. 
2017, I get bowel cancer. Sorry, I got uh, bowel, yeah, it, was, uh, it wasn't malignant. It was a benign cancer, but they had to do a major operation to remove the cancer. In 2018, I got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma blood cancer. So I'm laying in the hospital bed thinking, I don't want my grandkids to lose their nono after just losing their dad. And I'm laying in the hospital and my wife is sitting there and the doctor comes in and says, we need to talk about life support. I couldn't even walk to the bathroom. They had two people had to help me shuffle. 24 blood units, because I just kept passing blood and they didn't know where it was going. It actually found out the cancer was in my bone marrow after many tests. And, and, and the doctor comes in and sits down and says, we might have to talk life support. Do we try to bring you back or do we let you go? You and your wife will leave you for a few minutes. You need to talk. How did we get here? And then all of a sudden, I'm not lying to you now, or even evangelistically speaking, I'm not stretching the truth. <laughs> I'm in the hospital bed and a peace fills my life. I start crying and Sharon goes, are you scared? I said, Sharon, I can't describe to you the peace I'm feeling right now. But not only was there a peace, we talk about the presence of God as something you feel. But you know, the presence of God is something you can know. And in my hospital room, I felt He was present. I certainly didn't feel laughing in the spirit at that moment. I didn't feel to break out in, you know, sort of hallelujah worship, but I knew He was present. But I had no idea that His purpose would never leave me, even while I'm bedridden, and a nurse comes in and sees the Bible next to my bed and she goes, how can you still believe in that? I said, have you ever heard of the resurrection? She says, you mean the Easter story? I said, you know, I have a faith in eternity. She goes, I'm glad you said that. My husband left me and my brother died of cancer last year and if you told me your Jesus is going to give me everything I want if I give my life to him, I would have slapped you. Well, I'm glad I didn't give you that answer. <laughs> and then she looked around the room. She goes, what's the aura in this room? Now, I didn't have a worship band in the corner of the room <laughs> with beautiful harmonies. And she goes, what's the aura in this room? I said, I just know Jesus is present with me. She turned to me and she goes, can I give you a hug? She came over and gave me a hug and I prayed for her. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you don't need a pulpit because I will always give you a platform. Every Christian has a platform. Right. I ended up preaching sermons while I'm having chemo in the chapel of the hospital, only dressed from here up with my pyjamas. <laughs> and I'm preaching in an empty chapel in St Andrew's Hospital for a conference in New Zealand because they said, we really believe God's going to give you a word. But I said, I'm in hospital having chemo. They go, that's okay. You can record the message from your room. My wife got a bit upset. She goes, well, where's their compassion? <laughs> I knew I had to do it. I go get a cameraman. We go into this room that's completely empty. As I start preaching, the word of prophecy hits me and I'm prophesying down the camera. There's nobody in the room. Tears are running down my face, but the cameraman's crying. Just the two of us. It was for Christchurch, New Zealand. And I'm prophesying 
about storms coming and attacks and how God wanted to prepare us. The next day, the massacre happened in Christchurch where all those people got killed in that Muslim mosque thing. But they couldn't show the video because they had to cancel every public gathering. They couldn't show the video. And I get confused. I go, I felt the presence of God. I felt the prophetic. Now they can't show it. Six weeks later, they went back and did the conference and started the conference with that message. And I start getting text messages from New Zealand. How did you know? The message was so on point with what we're going through. If they'd shown it at another time, it wouldn't have worked. But sometimes the will of God, friends, is A, L, P, Q, Z. Where are you, God? Can I finish with one more? Oh, gee, I've gone over. Sure, just one more, just one more, just one more. So I'm in hospital. I get a phone call from Zurich. Pastor Leo Bigger, I don't know if you've met Leo. And he rings me and he goes, I know you're sick, but God wants you to come to my conference of young people in about two weeks' time. Can you just come for two days? I said, I'm in hospital. He goes, do you think you can get special leave? I got released from hospital on Thursday and I'm on a plane Friday morning. My wife is angry and she's going, what happens? I said, Sharon, I can't tell you why, but I have to do this, sick as I am. I fly to Zurich, I land in Zurich, they meet me at the airport and while I'm flying, their worship pastor dies. 35 years of age, who was gonna lead worship at the conference. And they'd never had anything like this happen. And they looked at me and they said, you lost your son, you're sick. Can you just help us through grief and pain? Forget what you were gonna preach. And I knew why I went to Zurich. I went to hospital or a medical clinic. They'd give me infusions and I'd preach. Then I'd go back to hospital for another infusion, go back and preach. I get back to Australia and a pastor friend from Sydney says, why didn't God heal you? While you were on that stage, sick as a dog, why didn't God heal you? I said, I don't know, but God did a work that I can't describe. Next morning after he rang me, I was studying the book of Galatians and Paul says, I'm glad when I came to visit you, you didn't reject me when I was sick. You read it in Galatians. I rang my friend back and I said, you know what? Anybody can preach when they're well. Not everybody can do it when they're not well. But God, despite of me, did his work. My wife goes, now we know why you had to go. And then back in hospital in Adelaide, my surgeon comes and sits with me and he goes, Danny, my mother's, my dad's just died and my mother doesn't know what to do and I'm from Fiji. He was a, he was a surgeon from Fiji. He said, did God tell you that your son was going to die? And I'm now in the hospital talking to my surgeon See, I've got the message now. We will finish. No, 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 go go on. I want you to play that song. I want you to play that song about the guys in the furnace, that last one, Blessed Assurance. Can we play that? (laughs) So, did God speak to you? The next day, on the way to the airport, he comes back to my hospital room. He goes, would you pray for me? surgeon who I didn't even know was a believer 
my oncologist, do you think you could come and speak to the Leukemia Foundation? Because they need hope. And I realised I never lost my pulpit. It just became a wider platform. And if Christians knew that, I'm sitting there eating food, well, waiting for my lunch, hospital food, my Lord, you need to really pray. And the guy walks in, I'm having chemo. He says, well, are you Danny Goog? Yeah. He said, you used to be my youth pastor. But my life's so effed up. I'm addicted to porn. Well, thanks for lunch. I mean, you just came in. (laughs) I'm screwed up and I don't think God will take me back. And I go, this hand had stuff in it. Hey, give me a hand. Let's pray. God said to me, you will always have a platform because I called you to it. You don't need a stage. You don't need one of these. Oh my goodness. In my sickness, I became a stronger Christian. In my I don't know, I learnt the meaning of faith. Out of the book of James, it says, having been counted all joy, because your faith has time to grow. Your endurance has time to grow. I get released from hospital, I get a phone call from pastor from South Africa. To be with him this year, Pastor Andre Olifier. He said, I'm in Australia, I'm flying to Adelaide to pray for you. He walked into my house, he goes, God's given me word out of Hezekiah that was given extra years to live. This is not your time. Next day, I get a phone call from New Zealand. A pastor who I'd only met once says, my intercessory group's been praying for you. And they got the story of Hezekiah. And this is not your time. Three weeks to three months to live five years ago. Today I'm cancer free. I know I've had three conclusions, this is my last. Preference didn't take me there. Convictions did. I love Jesus more than I ever have. The pain is deep. I've prayed for over 2,000 people that have lost their children. And before I got on the plane to come here, the night before I get a phone call, there's a family in Adelaide, which I'm connecting with tomorrow, who are here visiting family from Scotland, whose 17-year-old daughter has just been killed. I get a phone call. Can you give them hope? Bring them over. I'll have morning tea ready. I never thought that was gonna be part of my story. Many of you know the story of Michael and I thought he was gonna die. And went through all this grief with him and then we found out that it wasn't what it was and we tried to recover from that and bang, my eldest son dies. And there's a part of you that says, how much poor can we go through? And yet I promise you today, God's peace 
him present and his purpose has never left me. So I told the devil, throw what you want at me, I'll turn it around for God. You will not tear me down. I have non-negotiable convictions. We bow our heads this morning. And I ask you from the bottom of my heart, if you don't know what your non-negotiable convictions are, go home and write them down. I pray that nothing that I've been through comes your way, I really do. But you cannot be a Christian if you can't live with contrasts. Can you live with blessing and burden? Can you live with pleasure and pain? As the Apostle Paul did. Can you lead with can you live with rejection and hope? It's my life now. Every day I live with contrasts. But his spirit empowers us. We're gonna sing this song. When you sang it this morning, I thought, oh thank you, Lord. And this is what I'm gonna ask. If you feel you wanna come and kneel at the altar and say, God, I don't wanna be a preference Christian, I wanna be a convicted one, feel free to come and just kneel. We won't need to pray for you. This is a decision you make, we don't make it for you. It's not we and you, it's we're all in this together. Come and kneel at this altar and say, God, I'm gonna make a commitment. Renew your wedding vows today. Come and kneel before Jesus and go, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. In sickness and health, Jesus, I'm gonna give my whole life to you and I won't divorce you because you signed the wedding certificate with your blood. You might wanna do it where you're sitting. You might wanna stand, you might wanna wait till you get home. Whichever way it works for you this morning, in Jesus' Name, as we sing this song, do what you need to do to not just be a preference Christian, but a convicted one. Thank you. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. He's been my fourth man in the fire, time after time. I'm born of His Spirit, I'm washed in His blood. 